morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it reveals you to us. We thank you for how it speaks to our response to you and to your grace to us. I pray, Father, that we would respond with eager hearts to receive your word and to put it into action this week for your glory and for our great joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I grew up in a family of six kids. I used to think that was a big family. Not so much anymore. If you were to design the ideal family for the Son of God to grow up in, what would you want to be sure to include? Would he have brothers and sisters, for instance? What influences would he need to shape him as he grew up? What values would you want him to be exposed to? Would you design all good experiences for him? Or would you want him to face some challenges within the family? We can all choose our friends, but none of us get to choose our family. Some of us may have chosen differently if we had a choice. But Romans 8.28 tells us that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And if that's the case, and it is, then we can rest in the assurance that whatever our family is like, God can bring good out of that situation. So we can trust him for the family that he's given to us, as imperfect as it is, and look for the ways that he wants to shape us through that family into the people he wants us to become. Over the next few weeks, uh, we want to be looking at the family God gave Jesus. And while Jesus was perfect, his family was not. It wasn't free from problems, but it was exactly what the Father wanted him to experience. And I hope that this study will bring us some encouragement about how God can use us and our families for his glory and to help shape us into the people that he wants us to become. And you may say, Pastor, you don't know my family. And I don't, I don't, but I do know the sovereign God who designed your family. And he does some of his best work at times and in places where we might not even see him working at all, but we can trust him. Take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 1. There in verse 26, we find the angel Gabriel announcing to Mary that she will become the mother of of God's Son, the Messiah. This would have been every Jewish girl's dream to bear the Messiah. And then he goes on to give her some other information as well. He tells her about something that's already been mentioned in Luke's gospel at this point, and that is that her relative Elizabeth is also expecting. Now, we don't know for sure what exactly that relation was, She's a lot older than Mary. We would assume that she was an aunt, but it's not exactly clear. One thing is clear, that both of them, Mary and Elizabeth, were in the same extended family. 
Gabriel must have known it would be important for Mary to know about Elizabeth's condition. And since we know that angels are ministering servants of God who do his bidding, Gabriel must have come to Mary with specific instructions from God on what he was to tell her. In other words, God wanted Mary to know that Elizabeth was expecting. Why do you suppose that was? I think it's because so much of what God does in the hearts of people, he does through extended family, and he was going to use this extended family for his purposes and for his glory. And I hope that what I mean by extended family becomes clear over the next few minutes. It it will go beyond just relatives. Extended family is important to God. So we find in verse 39 that the first thing Mary does after getting Gabriel's message is she goes to see Elizabeth. And it would seem that one reason God wanted Mary to know about Elizabeth's pregnancy is so that she would have somebody to talk to about her own pregnancy. She couldn't wait to share the news with Elizabeth about what God was doing in her own life and in Elizabeth's life as well. Imagine getting that kind of news and having somebody else in on it as well that you can share the news with and talk about it with. The extended family gave her the opportunity to do that. We share good news with extended family. Later, when Elizabeth finally gave birth to John the Baptist, verses 57 and 58, we find that her neighbors and relatives heard what God had done and came and shared their joy. And so we see how extended family gives opportunity to share good news. Throughout the history of humankind, the extended family has always played an important role in the human situation. The family has always been the building block of society, and until very recent times, it has been a much bigger block than it is now. It didn't just include parents and children under the age where they could fend for themselves. It included grandparents, great-grandparents, aunts and uncles and cousins. And you might say, well, of course, (laughs) that's how family operates. That's, That's the way we do it. That's how family is intended to be. Well, there's a subtle difference between us and them. They often did it under one roof. The family and the home has changed a lot since then. And most notably, it has changed an awful lot in the last 200 years. An event took place about 200 years ago that changed the family very drastically. Do you know what event I might be referring to? the Industrial Revolution. Um, Before the Industrial Revolution, the home generally doubled as a person's place of business. Your shop would be in your home. Your tools would be in your home. Your customers would come to your home. But since those days, the home has become less and less a center of activity. And now most people leave home to go to work They leave home to go to school. The resulting society has become more and more fragmented and more and more mobile. Most families in America no longer have the the deep roots 
that they once had in a given community. And they often see other grown members of their own immediate family only on a yearly basis, if, if that often. Think about the last time you saw all of your cousins together in one place. What used to be called family is now only experienced at family reunions. And what we now call family is just a small part of what people through the ages of history knew as family. Such a small part, in fact, that it's known as the nuclear family. Only a nucleus remains. And not only has the trends significantly reduced the size of what we call family, but there's been another fascinating trend as well, and that is people are cutting themselves off more and more from other relationships. Circling the wagons, saying, us four and no more. It's something that is known in our culture as cocooning. You just pull back into your little cocoon. Executives at Domino's Pizza, for instance, claim that their primary product is not pizza. It's delivery. Because people want to eat at home. People are staying home for entertainment as well. Remember when video stores were were popping up all over the place? Blockbuster on every corner, that sort of thing. It was a reflection of the people's desire to cocoon, to just pull back. And now, what's happening? Video stores are closing down right and left because people can stream their content now and don't have to leave the home to get what they're bringing into the home. I was looking recently for someplace cheap to meet someone to eat in Green Bay, and I enjoy Chipotle, and so I looked up Chipotle, and I found a Chipotle Lane. You ever heard of that one? Chipotle Lane? You know what that is? It's a drive-in only Chipotle. And I Googled it to find out what is behind that, and what I found was some 70% of their business is drive-through or carry-out. So why build a building with tables and chairs that aren't going to get used? So Chipotle Lane. We see the effects of this isolation all over the place. Private security market is booming as people turn their homes into fortresses. Door-to-door salespeople have virtually vanished because they can't get in the door anymore. They've been replaced by direct mail and cable TV, home shopping networks and telemarketing. The trend just continues. And it's not all negative, but... These changes have all come with a growing sense of isolation. I can't help but think we weren't designed to operate that way, that we weren't designed to operate as islands. I believe there's a genuine longing for community that all people have. I believe also that in the family of God, the church, and and in the family that God gave Jesus to grow up in, we can change some of that. We can find some help in that family that Jesus grew up in as we try to regain a sense of community ourselves. If God's church is really a family, and I believe the New Testament makes it clear that it is, then we as his people can lead the way in restoring a lost sense of community. It can begin here. How can we do it? A couple ideas from the story of Mary and Elizabeth. The first is open the doors. Open the doors. Look at verses 39 to 45. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country 
to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Get a sense of the warm welcome that Elizabeth extended to Mary when she came calling. Uh, Mary didn't phone first. Uh, She didn't check to see if the visit would be convenient. She just showed up. She knew the doors would be open. And not only did Elizabeth welcome her warmly, but we get the sense that the welcome remained as Mary stayed for about three months, verse 56 tells us. We generally use the rule that, that fish and house guests tend to smell after about three days, right? We help them find the door. But Elizabeth's welcome didn't end. And when we look at verses 57 and 58, we get a sense of the delight that Zechariah and Elizabeth had as they threw open their doors to friends and relatives when their long-awaited son was born. Look at 57 and 58. Now, the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Extended family. The Bible uses a word that describes extended family as more than blood relatives. It's a network of relationships that you're connected with, and not only through blood relations, but also through work, also through common interest. And God uses these channels. In fact, these channels have been the primary means by which the gospel has spread. So, ready for a little Greek? This is my friend Ulysses. He's a little Greek. And now that you've been introduced to him, you know a little Greek, right? Okay. So here's the word. The word is oikos, and that word means household, literally. But it means household not only in the sense of the people who live under your roof, but household in terms of household servants, their families, friends of yours, business associates of yours. In short, it is a person's sphere of influence. That person's oikos, that person's household is his or her sphere of influence. And it has provided through the ages a tremendous channel for the spread of the gospel. Let me give you some examples. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, we find Jesus healing a demon-possessed man and afterwards tells him, go home to your oikos your household, your family, your extended family. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Or Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 9, we find Jesus meeting Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is what? A tax collector, right? 
And he tells him, I must stay at your home today. And Zacchaeus repents of all of the terrible things that he has done. And Jesus says what? Today salvation has come to this oikos, to this household. Not to this man, but to this household. John chapter 4, verses 46 to 53, we find Jesus healing the son of an official And it tells us that he and all his oikos, all his household belief. Let me give you just a few more that I didn't put on a slide. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, we find Jesus calling Levi, Matthew Levi, to follow him, to become one of his disciples. And Levi does what for a living? Levi is a tax collector, right? And in the very next scene, Jesus is eating at Levi's house and a whole bunch of tax collectors, Levi's oikos, have come to join them. John chapter 1, verses 40 and 42, Peter comes to Christ because his brother, Andrew, has told him we have found the Messiah. His brother, his extended family, Uh, John chapter 1, verses 43 to 45, Nathanael comes to Christ because of his friend, Philip. Acts chapter 10, verses 19 to 24, Peter goes to share the gospel with Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion, and gets there to find that Cornelius has assembled his relatives and close friends to hear the message that Peter will bring. He's brought his oikos together. The gospel has always spread through the network of extended family, relationships with people who know us and trust us. And it still does. There was a survey taken of over 14,000 lay people that asked this, who or what was responsible for your coming to Christ and to your church? Think of your own response to that question. Who or what was responsible for your coming to Christ and to your church? Here are the results. 1% came because of a special need. 2% said they just walked in. 5% credited the pastor. 1% said it was a visitation program. 4% said it was Sunday school. 0.5% said it was an evangelistic crusade. 2% said it was a church program, but 75% said it was a friend or a relative who brought them to Christ and to the church. So how would you answer that question? How did you come to Christ and to the church? My guess, through extended family. It's still the primary way the gospel spreads, not only through our blood relations, but also through the network of relationships that God has entrusted to us. So throw open the doors. Open the doors to people you work with, people you do business with, at the grocery store, at at a restaurant, at the barber shop, people you meet at the library, people you live next door to. Throw open the doors. The gospel has always spread through networks of relationships. 
So are we consistently identifying who those people are in our life so that we can share with them the reason for the hope that we have? These relationships are vital. It's through these relationships that people will see you living out your faith. People will trust you as a credible witness. You'll have the opportunity to share your faith and see fruit. So open the doors. Extend the welcome. Let them in. Second idea I get from the story of Mary and Elizabeth is this. Share the latest. These ladies couldn't wait to share with one another what God was doing in their lives. And we can do the same. When Mary went to Elizabeth, each of these women was aware of what God was doing in her own life. Think about Elizabeth and what was going on that she was aware of already. This miraculous pregnancy late in life. Answered prayer. She knew that her son would bear a very special role. Her husband couldn't speak. I don't know if that was part of the answered prayer or if that was something else, but she knew God was up to something there. Mary also knew that God was up to something. Uh, She had been visited by the archangel Gabriel. Uh, She had received the news that she would bear the Son of God. Each of these women was aware of something very special that God was doing in her own life. And when they got together, each one was ready to share what God was doing in her own life. It's natural and it's normal. It should be expected in the church. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, it says, When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation. The idea is that that we just share naturally what God is doing in our life. And here's where the power of personal testimony comes in. People may not be persuaded these days by logic or by scripture. You can't argue them into the kingdom of God. But you can share what God has done for you. They can't argue with your story. Narrative is kind of the key word these days. What's your narrative? What what has God done for you that you can share? Can you share that? in a short amount of time. I used to say, plan on three minutes or less. Now I don't know if we get that much. I used to say three minutes and three points. Uh, Sort of a before, during, after. What was your life like before you met Jesus? What what was wrong there? What, What took place that brought you from darkness to light? How was it that you came to faith in Christ? And then what's life been like since then? Before, during, after. Three points in three minutes. Now, you better condense it beyond three minutes, uh, shorter than three minutes. Uh, I I ask people to think in terms of how long it takes you to ride an elevator from one floor to another. People don't give you as much time as they used to. But we need to be ready to share what God has done for us. So the women were aware, each of what God was doing in her own life, they were ready to share with the other what God was doing. And then when they did get together and shared, each one could encourage the other over what God was doing in the other one's life as well. God is really at work in your life, I can see it, they they could say to one another. 
And by comparing notes, Mary and Elizabeth were able to see that God was operating on a number of fronts, and that was hugely encouraging. When we share what God is doing in our life, it has an encouraging effect. Jude verse 20 says, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. We do that when we talk about what God is doing in our lives. And I fear that sometimes the reason we're reluctant to share what God is doing in our lives is that there really isn't much happening there. We're physically overloaded, we're emotionally exhausted, and we're spiritually flat. We've got so much to do that we just don't take the time to get in touch with God before we start our day. We, we grab something to eat on our way out the door and we head out to our first appointment or whatever it is we're going to. And we haven't taken the time to tune in, to get in touch with God, to get our marching orders from him, to understand a perspective that is bigger than this first appointment. And as a result, we don't have much to share. Let me urge you, take time each morning to spend some time with God and gain his perspective on your day. It's an investment. You'll have something to share when you do. Martin Luther famously said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. When his load increased, so did the time he spent in prayer. George Mueller said, my first objective each day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. That's a great objective to start your day with. He would pray and be in God's word until his soul was happy in the Lord. See, when you go out from something like that, you've got something to share. So open the doors and share the latest. This Christmas season provides incredible opportunities for extending the family of God. Think of the people that this season puts you in touch with. People you don't see very often in addition to all the ones you do. Open the doors. Think of all the special events, family gatherings, the Christmas concert, cookie exchanges, the Christmas Eve service, Sunday morning worship, Great opportunities to include family members, members of your extended family, not just blood relatives, but your sphere of influence. So here's my challenge. Identify three friends, neighbors, relatives, associates, members of your extended family who are not yet followers of Christ. List their names on the insert in your program and pray for them each day this month. Look for opportunities to share with them the latest of what God is doing in your life. Extend the family. And as you do, you'll find you have an exciting part to play in extending the family of God. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I I thank you for how we can see the gospel spread throughout the whole New Testament. And as we think about how we came to faith in Christ, we see that that extended family idea has played a really significant role. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help us to identify our extended family, 
the people that you have entrusted relationship with to us who don't yet know you. And I pray, Father, that you would remind us to pray for them. And I pray that you would show us the opportunities you give us to share with them the reason for the hope that we have, to share with them what you're doing in our lives so that they too might come to know the Savior and experience the joy of that redemption that Jesus provided for us when he came to earth, not only to be born in a manger, but to go to the cross to pay the price for our sin. And so, Father, help us to share that good news this season with all of the people that you have brought into our lives that we will see that we don't normally see, that we have opportunity to share with because you have entrusted relationship to us. In Jesus' name, amen.